Sportscaster Team Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and well, we are back after a deserved week off because I personally needed some rest after that wild roller coaster ride that was the 2017 NFL Draft. And now it is time to recap the draft classes of all 32 teams, division by division, and assess the potential they bring going forward. We start tonight with the AFC North, where we saw some of this year's best drafts, at least on paper, in my opinion. To help us break down those draft classes of the Browns, Bengals, Ravens, and Steelers is our good friend Pete Smith of DraftBreakdown.com and NFLSpinZone.com. Welcome back to the show, Pete. How are you doing? I'm good. I appreciate you having me back. The pleasure is all ours, Pete. It's uh, always amazing and uh pleasure to have your amazing uh, football mind on the program. Very few people uh, know a a lot about all these uh, draft prospects inside and out uh, like you do. And let's get rolling with your Cleveland Browns, who I honestly thought had an amazing, amazing draft. And I didn't expect anything else. And thank God they didn't screw up bigly at number one as they took Miles Garrett. um, And uh, Miles Garrett obviously being a J.J. Watt, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald type game wrecker in a, a quarterback class where um, uh, nobody has any certainty of who will be successful and who won't. Um, that's uh, exactly what the Browns should have done. But they also got two other bites at the apple in the first round. And uh, at 25 overall, given the result of the trade with the Texans that landed Houston, uh, Deshaun Watson, um, the Browns drafted uh Mr. Versatile himself, Jabril Peppers, uh, from Michigan at 25 overall. And he played, obviously, almost every position you can think of at Michigan. But they obviously apparently drafted him to play a hybrid safety linebacker role. However, others, such as former NFL front office executive Michael Lombardi, say that he could do better at running back. At which position would you like to see the Browns utilize Peppers the most? He's a safety. I mean, I understand the idea that you see how good he is with the ball in his hands. He's got incredible uh, balance and burst and agility that he looks great from there, but ultimately he's a defensive player and, and that's where they're going to put him. They're going to make him a strong safety. Uh, and that's ultimately where I think he's going to do his best work. I, I've, I've heard the criticism. I understand it. I, I get why people think that, but I, I personally think he's more natural on defense. And the Browns apparently share that uh, same sentiment as well. And as I alluded to, the Browns didn't have two first-round picks this year. They had three because they were super loaded with ammo. that They were able to trade up four spots back into the first round with the Green Bay Packers to select freakishly athletic tight end David Njoku from Miami at 29 overall. That said, given the quarterback quandary the Browns have with the uh, Brock Osweiler, Cody Kessler, Kevin Hogan, and uh, Deshaun Kaiser. A lot of uncertainty there, obviously. How big of an impact do you see him making this season? Um, and Joku's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, he's a bit of a, a projection, a project. He's 20. Uh, he's tremendously athletic. But I, I don't think Njoku even knows how good he's going to be. And you sort of saw that in Miami this year. He got better as the season wore on. I think he had seven of his eight touchdowns. Uh, in conference play in the bowl game, uh, you, you, I, you know, you're, he's, he's a growth stock. You're buying into him the idea that that he's going to get better. Uh, he may not even be done growing with with his size and his age. Uh, they want him to ultimately be able to play that Y, that true inline position. Uh, based on what you've seen on tape, he looks more like uh, like what uh, they call the U, which is uh, – 
unattached tight end position. He's going to be sort of a receiver. And I expect you'll, you'll probably see a good amount of that too. Uh, the why part of that, the inline blocking is going to take some time. It's going to take some growth and it's going to take some technical work, but I think he can come in and, and make an impact pretty quickly as a receiver. He's just too big and too fast for a lot of people. Uh, and he's really dangerous with the ball in his hands. His potential definitely is uh, off the charts, and uh, given the the fact that he only has room to add size and to even further develop, should be even scarier for other teams uh, going forward. And I have full faith in Hugh Jackson and that staff to get the most out of uh, Dave Njoku. And uh, in round two, with the 52nd pick overall, the Browns uh, addressed uh, the annual elephant in the room for them. That's the quarterback position in selecting Deshaun Kaiser, uh, quarterback from Notre Dame. Do you think the Browns are locked in on Kaiser as their quarterback of the future? No. Uh, and and Mike Silver reported that basically the Browns front office wasn't really totally sold on him either, at least not from a United standpoint. Uh, from an analytics standpoint, he's he's a dud in that regard. This, to me, is all a Hugh Jackson basically putting his finger on it and saying, I want him, uh, which is fine. Uh, I, I don't think it's a great situation for uh, Kaiser in terms of being successful because ultimately what happens is is the Browns own two more first-round picks next year, three second-round picks, uh, and they're not going to be a, you know, they're not going to be a good team. They're still going to be most likely a sub-500 team. It would be pretty outstanding if they show up and go eight and eight or better this year. So they're going to be in a position where they're going to be staring at one of the top picks. And if Houston, you know, goes wrong this year, they could be up with uh, multiple high picks. So Kaiser, and I think this is true of any quarterback in this class was not ready to start from day one. I think he needs to sit for this year. So if you sit him and you develop him for a year and you go into the draft next year and you've got a high pick and you're staring at a, a stud quarterback prospect, they're not going to pass on him because of a guy they really haven't played. And certainly they are going to have a better read on it. I don't buy the idea that they have to play him to get a, a good read on him. They, You can see in practice, fans and media don't see it. The team knows. But I, I, I don't buy the idea that they're going to then pass on a top quarterback prospect because they've got Kaiser in here. More likely, they'd uh, ultimately uh, potentially start Kaiser next year while they ease in the rookie. and then it, Or if they really like the kid and he's that good or Cody Kessler is better than Kaiser, they could ultimately keep Kaiser and trade him for picks or something along that line. So, I mean, there's certainly an opportunity for Kaiser to get better and to be – uh, the quarterback that everybody hopes he can. I don't like his chances, and, and I, I don't think it stops them from doing anything quarterback-wise. Wow, Pete, you brought up a lot of amazing points there, a lot, a lot of crucial um, points there. And uh, you essentially answered uh, my follow-up question, uh, that if the Browns weren't locked in um, as on Kaiser as their quarterback of the future— and they get one of the top two or three picks in next year's draft, which is supposed to be loaded at quarterback, like with Sam Darnold of USC, Josh Allen of uh, Wyoming, uh, Josh Rosen of UCLA, to name three. Um, do you? Uh, uh, you kind of answered this, but I just wanted to double check. Do you see them trading Deshaun Kaiser for more assets if they are enamored with one of those 2018 quarterback prospects? 
Um, I think the X facts there, there's two things with that. First is Cody Kessler. They like Cody Kessler. Um, you know, how far that really goes, we'll see. I, I think he's going to ultimately be the starter this year. Uh, I, I think he's he's more likely to start than Brock Osweiler, and I think it comes down to mental toughness that Brock Osweiler really hasn't shown in his young career, and he's certainly there as an option. But the Browns have basically put put it out there that's saying we'll pay, we'll pay up to $10 million of his contract if somebody wants to give us something for him. So that could still be a fluid situation with some of these teams that have really, really questionable quarterback situations or if somebody goes down to injury. But if you're asking me what's likely to happen is first, let's see, they're going to see what happens with Cody Kessler. If Cody Kessler looks good, uh, then they could put a rookie behind him next year. If Cody Kessler doesn't look good and they like where Ke- uh, Kaiser's going, Kaiser could start while that guy uh, eases in next year and and then ultimately move him, uh, you know, in, in a situation where they, they you know, it, what Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees was supposed to be before Drew Brees' shoulder exploded. They wanted to trade him uh, for to move him for assets to then make room for Rivers. They could do something along those lines. But, you know, ultimately, the, the major point here is, uh, and I'm, and, you know, there's so much time and, and work to be left done on this quarterback class that's going to be coming up. But nothing they did in this draft stops them from acting on the quarterbacks of 2018 or if for whatever reason they love uh, a veteran or somebody else in the league. Uh, you know, we've beaten this Jimmy Garoppolo thing to death, but and he's not the only option. But if there's a quarterback along those lines, they certainly could go that route. Most definitely an intriguing future quarterback for the Browns awaits, and uh, we might have to wait till the 2018 draft to get a more clear picture of it. And now let's move on to the draft class of the Browns in-state rivals, the Cincinnati Bengals. And I also thought the Bengals, at least on paper, and once again, folks, the keywords is on paper because I'm one of those fervent believers that you cannot grade a draft class immediately after the draft. You have to wait three or four years to see the result on the field to get a more to get the most accurate grade possible. And with the, this uh, Bengals draft class, um, especially with their first two picks, it it definitely felt like that they want their offense to regain the swagger it had in 2015 when uh, Andy Dalton was playing like an MVP candidate and uh, they it, with the ninth overall pick they selected Mr. Speedy John Ross himself, a uh, wide receiver from Washington who this year set the uh, all-time record for fastest uh, 40 time at the combine, and in this with the second round pick at 48 overall, they drafted uh, arguably the most talented yet the most polarizing prospect in this draft class at Oklahoma running back Joe Mixon, who's been compared to Le'Veon Bell, but obviously was taken off most draft boards in the league after a, a video surfaced of him punching a woman uh, in the face. Uh, so, uh, but before we get further into Mixon. Um, do you think the additions of Ross and Mixon on paper uh, or, or in practice uh, based on potential, do you think they're enough to get the Bengals off its back to their 2015 level? Only if those, uh, only if those two young tackles uh, play up to their potential. Uh, they've got uh, Cedric Oboye and they've got Jake Fisher. And, you know, Oboye was a disaster last year. Jake Fisher's at least promising, but that, was a huge problem for them, uh, and and they've got those guys firmly outside starting tackles. They didn't do anything to 
sort of alleviate that situation. So that's a big thing. But if but from Ross's standpoint, Mixon's standpoint, they're both phenomenally talented players, but they both have giant question marks. With Ross, it's medical. Uh, I, you know, the amount of things he's had done to his body at such a young age is remarkable. And then you combine all that with the fact that after this many procedures he's had done on his legs, he still ran a 4-2-2 while dragging a torn labrum in his shoulders. So the kid can fly. Uh, so, but you've got legitimate questions on, you know, how long is that going to last? Can they, what can they do to sort of make sure he stays healthy uh, so he can be the weapon they hope he is? And then Joe Mixon, obviously the, the issue is character. You know, I wouldn't have drafted Joe Mixon, but at the very least, I, you know, the Bengals were sort of the, the the Vogue pick to take Mixon, and they did it. But I will give them credit for trading down before they took Mixon and adding some additional assets. But on talent, Joe Mixon can be a huge weapon for them uh, as a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, and then John Ross can obviously stretch the field across from uh, a guy like, uh, you know, A.J. Green. So, it will not be a matter of a shortage of weapons for, for Andy Dalton. It's a question of can he do enough and can that offensive line do enough to make them matter. I absolutely agree. It's all going to come down to the development of Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher uh, because without uh, protection, uh, Andy Dalton's not going to have time to find uh, Mixon, uh, Ross, or A.J. Green or Tyler Eifert uh, for that matter. And you, even though you did answer the question, I will uh, add a little layer to it. Would you have taken uh, Joe Mixon off of your draft board if you were Mike Brown or any other owner in the NFL? Yes, and it basically comes down to the fear. Look, they have access. I don't. They've talked to the kid. I have it. But the, the fear I have if I'm a team with a situation like Joe Mixon, and especially the fact that it's on video, and you cannot stress how much of a difference video makes, is – God forbid, what if Joe Mixon gets into another situation where he's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be on tape this time. He's charged with something with a woman, and it, and it's just going to be a nightmare for that organization. And what makes it worse is even though, you know, Joe Mixon's, you know, what he did was awful and there's no getting around that, if it comes up again and ultimately he's innocent, I don't know if you can get away from the nightmare that comes with it if he's just charged with something, even if he didn't do it. So it's just such a grenade and sort of a hot potato situation if you don't want to be sort of caught with him. But the Bengals have never been afraid of this. Uh, they've done it. I mean, Pac-Man Jones is still on that team, which is, you know, blows me away uh, with his most recent issues. But so there's an obvious risk. You're just terrified that if this happens again, you're not going to be able to to be able to explain it away. And suddenly it's just a massive black eye on the team. But you hope for the kid's sake that whatever he's learned, whatever he's, you know, I thought his punishment was pretty light uh, for all, all intents and purposes. Is, you know, hopefully he's at least gotten past this and he said all the right things. He's, you know, we'll see what happens with it. But, you know, it's it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, and that is uh, an opinion that 26 NFL teams shared with you, Pete, uh, at least according to uh, Adam Schefter. And uh, the Brown, uh, the Bengals, forgive me, uh, also uh, look to um, uh, reunite their pass rush with the 73rd overall pick in round three. They selected um, 
a pass rusher from Kansas State, Jordan Willis, who obviously um, who saw his stock uh, climb up draft boards uh, because of his performance at the Combine. And some people even thought he was going to go in the first round for, um, for, for a period of time. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jordan Willis? Do you think he's a potential double-digit sack artist, just a workout warrior, or somewhere in between? I think he's a stud. I, I, I loved him on tape uh, before the Combine. Uh, I think people in my opinion, got a, a sort of a, a, a false view of his speed on tape. And it's because he's such a long strider that every step he takes, he's sort of working around and it looks slow, but he's covering a lot of ground. He's got good hands. The, 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 the biggest argument you can make him against Jordan Willis, he didn't play anybody. Uh, the big 12 just did not have much for him to go against, but for what he had and what he did, he was outstanding. Uh, tremendous run defender, Terrific pass rusher, and he tested like Vic Beasley, and he's bigger. So, in terms of what the Bengals got here in round three, this is this is uh, this was a slam dunk, easy pick. Uh, and 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 you know, as a bronze fan and and, and somebody who you know watches this division, I'm I'm not looking forward to having to play this guy uh, on the def- play against this guy on the defensive line. The combination of of Willis and then. Uh, Carlos Dunlap is is pretty good, and then having and then having uh, the uh, interior defensive line, they've got some dudes. Oh yeah, with Geno Atkins pushing that pocket in the middle at three tech, and if uh, Willis is as good as advertised uh, as a bookend to Carlos Dunlap, the Bagels pass rush could uh, return to its uh, previous uh, great heights that have been uh, respectively missing at least two out of these past. Uh, three seasons and from Ohio we go to the east coast in Maryland where we visit the old Browns as in the uh, Baltimore Ravens and with the 16th overall pick they selected cornerback from Alabama Marlon Humphrey and the league seemed to be higher on Humphrey than most in the draftnik community did you like this pick by the Ravens and what are your thoughts on Humphrey as a player personally uh, I, I I did not like this pick. I, I I understand athletically he's outstanding. He has a lot to offer, but in terms of tape, in terms of production at Alabama, they didn't ask him to do much, and he didn't. He did even less. He got beat quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot of work he needs to do. So I mean I get it, but from that standpoint, it, you know this one, this particular pick, reeks of. Uh, Reeks of the front front office going a little too uh, Ozzie Newsom's alma mater here in terms of going for an Alabama guy. I thought there were better corners for them to be, take here, uh, but I mean we'll see how it goes. Uh, that we shall. Uh, Humphrey um, uh, made a play uh, this season that stood out to me. I don't uh, recall what game it was. I, it might have been the first game of the season where he just knocked the snot out of somebody, and it um, opened my eyes to him. And yes, he does have uh, work to do on uh, locating the ball in the air, as uh, many uh, notable analysts have said. But I think uh, the Ravens will uh, learn how to use him right. He he, he can hit you in the mouth, though, and that's uh, what they like to do uh, in Baltimore, which is why I'm personally a little more optimistic on this pick uh, than you are. And, and in round two, uh, they the Ravens hope they found uh, Terrell Suggs' long-term successor in Tyus Bowser, a pass, a potential pass rusher and outside linebacker from the University of Houston. And uh, during the NFL Network draft broadcast, uh, Mike Mayock uh, described Bowser as, quote, 
He's Hassan Reddick, but, but not as polished. And Hassan Reddick was obviously taken 14th overall by the Arizona Cardinals. And Reddick, known for his versatility to uh, uh, rush the passer and also uh, drop back into coverage and uh, be a fluid sideline-to-sideline -side uh, weapon on passing downs as well. And uh, do you think that Bowser can grow into the player Reddick currently is and that Reddick is expected to be? I think Bowser is an outstanding pick, and and I think the guy they view him as is is Suggs, and it's it's the fact that for so many years Suggs has been a guy who could deliver as a pass rusher, but he was pretty good dropping into coverage, and Bowser has those qualities. Uh, in fact, people who watched Houston's tape were critical that he didn't rush the passer more, that they used Bowser as much as they did in coverage. So he's got a lot of experience doing both things. I, I you know. The Ravens, the past couple of years, have added just a ton of front seven guys with a bunch of options and versatility. They've got a bunch of athletes that can do a number of different roles, uh, size, athleticism, all these things. Uh, you know, one of the guys they, they drafted last year was injured all year was Bronson Kafusi, and he's another one of these guys oh, who's boy. Huge, huge and can run. And Bowser just adds another level of that. So, you know, if, if, for what – Baltimore should be looking for it. It's no different than what they have. And I think that's exactly what, what attracted them to Bowser. Most definitely. And uh, I think Bowser could be a great player uh, as well. And uh, now um, uh, for the time being, we go to the reigning uh, AFC North champion Pittsburgh Steelers. And with the 30th pick overall, uh, like the Ravens have a uh, pass rusher on his last legs and Terrell Suggs, the Steelers are in a similar situation with James Harrison, even though Harrison can ball for a 39-year-old, uh, but uh, they know his time is coming up very soon. So they selected uh, Wisconsin outside linebacker T.J. Watt with the 30th overall pick. T.J., obviously the youngest of the three Watt brothers, obviously J.J., the oldest, and Derek, the middle brother. And what stood out to me in conversations I had with uh, you and others about T.J. Watt is his his versatility. And like we talked about Bowser and Reddick, not only is the potential there for Watt to be a solid pass rusher, but he can also end up equally as good an off-ball linebacker as the other two. Do you share this view? Uh, certainly he has that option. I think that's a big reason Pittsburgh was attracted to him. He can do multiple things. He can drop into coverage. And, and But, you know, with Pittsburgh, they got him to ultimately rush the passer. But as they sort of uh, evolve into this, defense that Mike Tomlin wants to run and it's you know been a weird transition from uh the the 3-4 to still sort of a 3-4 but kind of evolving into a 4-3 you know Watt gives them a player that can give them a little bit of everything uh he'll he'll play some coverage but you know th they brought him in to get after the passer and and especially with the lack of success they've had in some of their picks at this this is this is what they need him to do i mean the fact that they're still relying on james harrison to be their biggest produ producer is not by design it's because they've screwed up uh, a number of other picks including jarvis jones who they got rid of uh who's a first round pick and then bud dupree who's got talent but hasn't sort of become the player that they want to certainly they still believe he can be uh, a, a big time player for them but it just hasn't clicked yet and what you know they're hoping is the missing ingredient so they can actually let Harrison be sort of a part-time guy, let him work as a specialty guy rather than having him to be out be out there so many plays, given the fact he's you know 53 years old. <laughs> 
most definitely. And uh, in with the Steelers' uh, second-round pick at 62 overall, they got uh, Ben Roethlisberger another weapon, selecting USC wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. And and when that pick was made, I remember seeing a tweet. I, I forget by who, who it was, but it was interesting. It said that uh, this uh, pick is a warning to Martavis Bryant, even though Bryant, uh, who the Steelers sorely missed last year, in my opinion, uh, was just uh, reinstated by Lee and will be available uh, to play this season. Do you think the uh, Steelers' selection of Juju Smith-Schuster does spell trouble for uh, Martavis Bryant? No, I think it's insurance uh, in case Bryant has a problem. The guy I think that's in trouble is uh, Sammy Coates. I I think Sammy Coates is the guy where Juju Smith-Schuster is going to come in to do a lot of the things that they wanted him to do. The thing with Schuster that the Steelers really haven't had too much of is he can make plays after the catch and do that, but he's able to do more of the tough possessions, move, possession move the sticks type plays that they need. Antonio Brown does everything. Schuster's a guy who can can get you tough yards, and then some of the other guys like Bryant. Bryant's a you know a phenomenal deep threat, and they've got some of these other players that can do that same role. I think Schuster sort of really fills out the wide receiver roles that they have. So Jesse Smith isn't really the only short yardage guy that they've got. Uh, but yeah, the, the Sammy Coates is the one I'd be, if I was Sammy Coates, I'd be very concerned if I'm Martavis Bryant, if he stays clean, they don't have a problem. They're going to use all of them. If he doesn't, now they've got a guy that can come in and, and, and fill some of the, the hole. But I think, I think the Steelers plan on having all of them. Yeah, and another dimension I think Schuster brings to the Steelers is his route running. It gives them another a fantastic route runner to go along with Antonio Brown, who argues who arguably runs the the smoothest routes uh, since we've seen from somebody named Jerry Rice. And having that other route runner to uh, uh, be able to distract attention away from uh, Antonio Brown um, is uh, it will be extremely helpful, especially in that intermediate passing game, as you alluded to. And he is Pete Smith, ladies and gentlemen, of, NF- of DraftBreakdown.com and NFLSpinZone.com. Follow him on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. And, uh, and we got uh, three more uh, things to address um, before we are uh, out of time here, uh, Pete. Uh, uh, there are uh, three simple questions. And the first one is, who was the absolute best pick and the absolute worst pick of all these four teams, with the exception of Miles Garrett, of course, because we obviously know that Miles Garrett's going to be a stud. Um, let's start with the worst pick. Uh, Rod Johnson, the fifth round pick, the Browns picked. Uh, they traded up for him. He can't play dead. Uh, he can't move. <laughs> he his hips and ankles are awful. I, you know, there were a lot of other tackles that I felt like could have been substantially better for what they took players in general. I think they passed over on that move. I, you know, they have talked about this kid as being the backup to Joe Thomas. And I think what's going to happen is as what has been the common theme with them is Joe Thomas will take a day off and then this kid will get all the reps. He's going to take two reps against miles Garrett and they're going to tell him to get his stuff and get out. He just, and it's not, you know, he's physically just not capable of being an NFL tackle, which is, you know, that's the problem. And and you've got to think of these guys through the lens of, in the case of the Browns, can this guy block TJ Watt? Can this guy block James Harrison? Can this guy block Terrell Suggs and, and all these other guys. And my answer with that, with Rod Johnson is no best player uh, to me, 
I, I'll go back to uh, I'll go back to the the Bengals and say Jordan Lewis. I, I thought that pick was outstanding. Uh, or Jordan Willis, he for where they took him and what he brings to the table, he has the potential to be the set, just off measurables and, and production and everything he did. He has the ability and potential to be the second best pass rusher in this draft behind Miles Garrett. Will he get that high? I do not know. That will be seen. But in terms of just how high the highs are for him, he could be an absolute stud and somebody no different than Geno uh, Atkins, who they got in round three, that type of player. Uh, you definitely love uh, Jordan Willis, as you um, uh, said earlier in the show, Pete, and uh, that's uh, not a surprise coming from you. But uh, as uh, they say, uh, day three in the draft rounds, four through seven, is where your team is really built because the teams that hit um, in rounds four through seven are teams that are likely to have a deeper roster and a more playoff uh, caliber roster. Who was your favorite pick on day three for each team and why? Um, for the Browns, I would the best pick of day three for me was the kicker, uh, Zane Gonzalez. I, you know, I, I'm not enamored with what the Browns did on day three. I think they, they screwed the pooch to a certain extent. I think they let coaches sort of interfere too much with the process and pick guys that, you know, that didn't sort of fit the model they have. But he's a really good kicker, so I think he can be uh, that type of player for the Steelers. Uh, I really like uh, I really like Brian Allen for them, uh, Utah cornerback. He's huge, really tall. That Utah recruits these hulking cover three corners and drop back and play zone. They, uh, you know, Allen could conceivably also get get some looks at uh, free safety, but he's sort of that guy where he. He can do a lot of things for you and, and make plays on the football. Uh, Baltimore, to me, cleaned up on day three. I think as much as I was critical of, of Marlon Humphrey, I think they did an outstanding job on day three of the draft and, and really uh, made up some ground there. And the guy I, I think they, they got that will be very good for them is Nico Saragusa. He uh, just has a ton of potential and could be sort of that Pro Bowl-type guard no different than the Marshall Yonda type. Uh, he has that type of ability where he can be that guy where every, you know, in, in three years, everybody's wondering how did this guy last that long? But he's that type of, that type of talent, that type of size and power that, that Yonda uh, brings to the table. Uh, and then for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, um, I, the, uh, the seventh rounder, Mason Shrek. I love Mason Shrek. Um, uh, he, you know, despite playing for Buffalo, he's a great athlete and he was the leading receiver for that team. He played in line and then it got to a point where, you know, they didn't have many guys to throw to. So they started moving him all around the formation. He was a split out receiver in the slot, doing all kinds of different things and, and just kept making plays for that team uh, and, and racked up production. He's a guy I think that can be very uh, surprising as far as this draft goes. And even with the Bengals who have a ton of tight ends, I think he's a guy who can make that team. And it's also important noting that Khalil Mack went to Buffalo as well. So uh, maybe there's some, some other stud um, in the, ma in the making that the NFL missed on this time at uh, the university of Buffalo. So that will be uh, Mason Shrek will be an interesting player to watch uh, come train camp time. And also, especially given the fact that Tyler Eifert uh, can't stay out of the infirmary. Uh, I'll definitely be watching for him. Uh, we thank you once again for uh, joining the program. Uh, you're one of our favorite guests on the show. 
Uh, you're a true friend, and uh, I uh, just uh, uh, can't say enough about you. Ed, but one more question before we're out of time here. Uh, in three to four years, which of these four draft classes will be the best in practice? Uh, I think the Browns will have the most in terms of genuine star power. But if you're asking me who's the team that's going to come away with sort of the most players, I think Pittsburgh is. I, you know, they, Nothing they did was particularly sexy. But other than Josh Dobbs and the long snapper, I, I think they picked uh, six guys. Every single other pick they made has a chance to not only be a pretty good player, but I think can make an impact for them uh, sooner than later. That goes from T.J. Watt all the way down to Keon Adams. I think just in terms of consistently hitting the mark uh, with those picks, I think Pittsburgh and Kevin Colbert did an outstanding job. Thank you very much once again, Pete. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D-Cron. But we hope to be back with one or two more draft recaps this week. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out our complete episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And once again, folks, that is Crunch with a K. For Pete Smith, our producer Chris Broadhead, man in the box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and stay awesome.